Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Autosport Podcast. We review the French Grand Prix and ask if anyone can stop Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes. Lewis Hamilton made it 8 out of 8 for Mercedes in 2019 with his 6th victory of the season in the French Grand Prix. Another commanding performance with Ferrari at its least competitive since the Australian Grand Prix in terms of its deficit to the front. Not a classic race by any means, but one that nonetheless produced its fair share of talking points. I'm your host Ed Straw and joining me to look back at the French Grand Prix, first is Scott Mitchell. How are you enjoying your Sunday night, Scott? I'm quite tired, to be honest. I don't know if it's a com. I think it's a combination of it's been really, really warm. Here, but Paul Ricard in the south of France this week, bloody roasting the last few days, and it's been really. It's been quite long days as well. Friday, I think we left the track until 10 p.m. We got back to the house at 10 p.m. tonight with plenty of work to do, and we're recording the podcast at what's the time now? 10:43. Oh yeah. So yeah, that's quite early, a- I'd say. Well, we've got we've still got quite a bit to get through, haven't we? And then heading to Austria first thing tomorrow, pretty much. Not as first thing as your next guest, though. He's uh, he's leaving at a a dirt early time in the morning. Yes, we have our Formula Two and Formula Three correspondent Jack Benyon, who of course of course has been here this weekend. Are you looking forward to getting up at what time is it? Four o'clock, four a.m. No, I'm not looking forward to that, but I have had a very enjoyable weekend, even though I have had to share it with you guys. And it's almost uh, a year since I made my Autosport F1 podcast debut, which was in Austria, which is obviously next week. And I think the the horse that kept talking over us while we were trying to record that podcast made it into the top 10 moments of the season. So, yeah, the horse that disagrees with Scott Mitchell has not been heard from for some time. Nay. No, very, very much so. Um, the one thing you were a bit concerned about, Jack Benyon, was what's living in the roof of our Airbnb. Have you worked it out? Whatever, whatever it was, it was extremely active overnight last night. It didn't bother me because uh, I sleep quite well and uh, I do snore, as you both know. So uh, I'm quite a deep sleeper, whereas you seem to have uh, you seem to bore the brunt of the noise coming from the roof. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's been quite a good Airbnb, and we have to credit Scott Mitchell for his choice of uh, his choice of stay this weekend. It was much better than last year's. It's broadly the only reason I'm still in this job because of my Airbnb skills. 
Well, if you're so good at Airbnb, can you tell me if it's one large thing that lives in the roof or several small things? I think it's... I can't work out whether it's um, many, many duck-sized horses or a horse-sized duck. I'm really not sure. It's one or the other. Which would you prefer to fight is the standard question then. Um, lots of horse-sized ducks, I reckon. Wait, no, other way around. <laughs> that's, Hang on. That's the, got, that, you've chosen <laughs> literally, literally the worst literally, possible option. Literally the worst lots answer. Lots of duck-sized horses. I can take I'll just kick them. Uh, you've got, we've got to take your first answer, so you're done. Oh, no, I'm dead. I imagine lots of duck-sized horses is what uh, everyone who was racing against Lewis Hamilton thought they were facing this weekend. Oh, nice segue. That's very, very true. With that, we can now glide effortlessly into talking about the French Grand Prix. So Lewis Hamilton... Put it on pole, and and he won, didn't he, Scott? He did. Yeah, <laughs> that's about that's the story. Pretty... <laughs> that's basically the race. <laughs> what are we doing for the next forty minutes? <laughs> oh, there's plenty to talk about. No, there's but, not. <laughs> but but it, it was yeah, there it, 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 it was a, an absolute Mercedes weekend. We always knew this track would be favourable to to Mercedes, or expect it to be anyway, and and so that that proved. And I guess the interesting thing was that up until Q3 started, Valtteri Bottas looked like he had a he maybe was slender favourite to take pole position because he'd been quicker on the performance runs, quicker in Q1 and Q2, and then come Q3, it was Lewis Hamilton there. And by the end of the race, it was Lewis Hamilton by, what, 18 seconds, I think he won by? Which... Yeah, that, although the, the the gap was a bit distorted by many things. Yeah. There was a phase of the race where he wasn't pulling away from Bottas at all when he could have done, and then it all got a bit weird at the end with Bottas having problems and the like. Yeah, but I think it was, I think it was also... Hamilton just has an ability to look after his tyres in the way that Bottas can't quite do to the same degree. Not 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 when they're together. Um, both drivers struggled with blistering on the fronts, but but Hamilton just seemed to be able to get it back under control, whereas Bottas was constantly in conservation mode and nursing it to the finish. So, but the reason I mentioned the deficit is because Bottas was on top in FP two, on top in FP three, on top in Q one, on top in Q two, and then Hamilton snatched it where it counted. And then translated it into a really dominant race performance. And you wouldn't have thought that Bottas would be defeated so comprehensively at any other point on Friday or Saturday. Any other point of the weekend, you'd think you'd think that Bottas would have been right there at arm's length. Maybe sort of just kept adrift, not quite able to launch an attack. But I wouldn't have expected him. I can't think of anyone who would have expected him to fall nearly 20 seconds adrift by the end of the race. We were looking at the race. You mentioned the the tyre management thing, and it, it was very, very clear actually in the race with with the way the pattern of the, the first stint went. Of course, the top eight all qualified on the mediums in Q two, so they started on the mediums. The soft tyre was not what you wanted to be on. Pierre Gasly and Antonio Giovinazzi, the two uh, the two sort of slowest drivers in 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 Q three, ended up having to start on the soft, and that made their life quite difficult. Giovinazzi, in particular, but Bottas had that period. At the start, when he stayed reasonably close to Hamilton, so lap 14, he's 2.995 seconds behind. Hamilton's edging away at 0.15 a lap. But then on the next eight laps, which takes us to the start of Bottas' in lap, the average goes up to 0.576 as Bottas struggles increasingly with with the tyres and then he has a little bit of trouble with traffic. And we've seen this a few times before. Hamilton's got a fantastic and underrated ability to manage the tyres through a stint. Bottas has struggled with that. And in fact, last year, one of the reasons we kept seeing Bottas slumping in races was this tyre management. It's been less of a problem this year, but we have seen it a few times. And I think this is another one. And then, of course, once the pit stops had played out, he was 11-odd seconds behind and you know that the race, the race was done for Bottas in terms of giving Hamilton anything to think about. So I think this was one where we saw Bottas being similar pace to Hamilton, maybe a tiny bit back, but then when it comes to a race stint, just that crucial management let him down. Well, Valtteri said after the race that when at the start of the stints, they were fine. You know, there wasn't anything really between them. It was pretty much like it was a weekend. And then, yeah, as you said, the longer the stint went on for, the more exposed Valtteri was to the point where he almost got overhauled by Leclerc at the end of the race because he was nursing the front so much that Leclerc slashed the deficit. And I think he finished like 0.9 seconds behind. He thought about having a go into the final corner, but he wasn't quite close enough to steal second. Yeah, it was really close. And Bottas had a few problems at the end. A misfire appeared like seven laps from home, something like that, that held him back a little bit. And the the shortness, the the brevity of that VSC, which was deployed for Albon drop-kicking the bollard down the track at turn one when he uh, when he clipped it. Uh, Bottas was slightly caught out by how short that was and ended up losing a bit of time under the VSC. So kind of everything 
sort of coalesce to create pressure on him towards the uh, towards the the end of the race. But ultimately, it was an all Mercedes concern. I guess Jack Benny, obviously, you were watching the race once uh, F two and F three duties were were over, and it's it's frustrating when you don't even quite have that battle between the two the two teammates when it comes to the race isn't it yeah I think although at the start of the season we saw a really strong Valtteri Bottas really uh, kick-starting his season exactly how he wanted to after a, a few struggles last year um, we've seen Lewis Hamilton really come to the fore now and really extend that gap between them haven't we in the in the previous few races and yeah I mean Lewis today just looked like a, a class above uh, almost looked like he was in a different category compared to, to everybody else and it's uh, it's always difficult when you when your teammate is so completely dominant like Lewis was today and Valtteri still seemingly having a few issues uh, tyre management as you've talked about uh, and then I think also mentioned a few little niggly issues um, seemed, like, seemed like he had a misfire at the end so yeah difficult one for him it's always difficult when you're beaten so comprehensively by a teammate because you effectively should have the same machinery um, and mentally, you have to try and bounce back from that, knowing that you, you know, you've had the same car, and in in essence, you've been set, you, you're seventeen seconds down the road. He's in a funny position, Bottas, because I, I asked Toto Wolff about this after the race, because it seems to me that the, that Valtteri's worked on a lot of things, but the biggest problem is still that that tire management compared to Hamilton. Because if you look at the qualifying gap on average, although Hamilton's five three up in the qualifying head to head, the average advantage Hamilton's got is just six hundredths of a second. It's Point zero six one, so Bottas has really done well on qualifying, and even when he's lost out, for example, he lost out by pushing three tenths here, but qualifying was a little bit misleading because he 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 wasn't quite able to get things right in Q three with the with the wind etc. And, and Hamilton picks it up, so I think Bottas was on a single lap strong, but yeah, when it comes to the race, it's struggled. It's a little bit like what we saw from Rosberg in if you go back to twenty fourteen when he's often on pole, but Hamilton would normally turn it around. In, in the races and I think it just shows what a challenge Bottas has got to, to to bother Hamilton he kind of needs to be absolutely his best and I think he's been very good this year but just it's the usual thing isn't it you got you're up against an all-time great driver and they tend to make the the very very good look ordinary don't they I think uh I think Bottas it looked it seemed like uh you guys will know a lot better than me but it seemed like he uh, sort of dealt with this new tyre better at the start of the season and Lewis seemed to be struggling a little bit more with the with the new tyre at the start of the year and that was Valtteri's real chance to to gain some headway and, and, and pull some points on Lewis and now Lewis seems to be in that window where he's he's got those tyres working as as well as they, they possibly can. Obviously the teams, there's still a little bit of uncertainty when they're dealing with these tyres. You know, it's not 100% knowledge going into every race about what they're going to do but they have a better idea now, much more, you know, sorry, many more races under their belt with, with these new tyres. So yeah, I think now Lewis is back up speed a little bit it's going to be very difficult for Valtteri to find something that is going to you know allow him to to overcome Lewis over the course of the rest of the season what do you think Scott do you think assuming things continue as they are and I think while we can't 100% rule Ferrari out of the the title fight it's going to take something pretty phenomenal for it to change so we'll 99.5% rule them out of the of the title fight so it is down to Bottas isn't it and I think the best will in the world it's going to be very hard for him to to really over a season well beat Hamilton I'm thinking that what is it? Lewis can now afford to finish second in the next five races and still be in front in the championship. Yeah, it's thirty-six point gap now. He's got. Yeah, it's just uh, massively to have at this stage of the season, and he's what seventy-six points, I think, clear of Vettel. So the yeah Ferrari are out of it. It won't be a Ferrari title this year. This uh, it's an all my all, it's an all Mercedes fight. At the front, and at the moment, Bottas is simply not doing enough. Eight races, six wins for Hamilton, two for Bottas. Ferraris don't look anywhere near in enough in the picture regularly for Bottas to 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 count. Bottas basically can't win this title by winning that. He can't win a third of the number of races as Lewis this year and win the title because if for that to happen he needs to win races and in those races Hamilton needs to be finishing fourth or fifth because Hamilton's just going to keep building up this run of a, a seven point gain here a 10 point gain here a seven point gain here and if 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 Bottas supplements that with a win every four races or something it's just like the championship's going to be over before we get to the flyaways at the end of the season and that's a massive shame given how the season started but Hamilton's just in his amazing form at the moment Bottas has started to struggle and the worrying thing is okay yeah we go to Austria next week Bottas is is very strong there has he been on pole there the last two years Bottas 
Yes, he has, and even his Williams days were strong there as well. Exactly. So, yeah, we're going to the Red Bull ring, and he'll be strong there, I'm sure. But then, that's this is what's worrying, is we're then firmly into the part of the season where Hamilton gets mega, and the last two years, Bottas has slowly drifted away. And as soon as... I mean, we're already at that point where he knows that he's got a massive gap to overhaul. So he even needs Hamilton to retire from a race, not the not the entire sport. Uh he even needs Hamilton to have a retirement, or Bottas needs to go on a winning streak. Otherwise, we're going to be going into the summer break. Bottas will know he's probably defeated, and he risks his head dropping like the last couple of years, and things just the season just ebbing away from him. And he, all of our hopes rest on him. So, Valtteri, on the off chance you're listening to this, I implore you, I beg you, on behalf of F1 and everyone following the 2019 season, please kick Lewis's ass in, at the Red Bull ring. And if you could just put him off the road while you do it and spice things up a little bit, that would be absolutely fantastic. The thing we should add is I don't think there's any disgrace in Bottas not quite being able to match Hamilton. Not I, think, at all. I think his real challenge this year is to sustain this level through the season and, yes. and not drop off as he has the past two years. Because right now he's doing exactly the job that Mercedes need him to, really. So if you and just keep doing that up, great. And he's doing a better job than, than most drivers probably would. He's running Lewis so close for all through the weekend, what were they separated by hundreds, weren't they? It, that is so, so difficult to do. Bottas is driving over one lap, especially to an immensely high standard at the moment, but he just, he, he, he's got to get on top of this time management problem. Otherwise this, this brilliant shot that he's had at a title this season is going to slip away unless he gets on top of that. I think there's quite a few world champions you could plug into that car who do a worse job than Valtteri's doing this year. I don't think he's doing a bad job at all, but I think all that shows is, you know, it's probably been talked about quite a lot, but I think we're just seeing how good Lewis Hamilton is and uh, we, we could, I'm sure we could dedicate a whole podca- podcast to, to looking at how Lewis is interpreted by people who follow the sport, the fans, the journalists, everybody. But what, what you're actually seeing is an absolutely phenomenal driver in Valtteri Bottas in what he's doing this year. And he's we're basically nitpicking him to pieces in a year where if Lewis Hamilton wasn't there, he'd probably win leading the championship. It's just one of those things, isn't it? That you're sort of looking for a championship fight. That's the the key thing you need. And obviously Ferrari this weekend updates on the car. Matteo Bonotto going into the weekend had said it's important for the direction. And then of course it's very much a mixed bag what what they had. They ended up uh, only running the new front and rear wing in the race. And I think apparently they're, they're f- the floor they went spec they went to was two steps back. So they're obviously trying to find something. Ferrari and um, they 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 talked after the race obviously about not being quite satisfied that it's it's not great is it because we were hoping this weekend would get Ferrari on an even even keel and the performance is less the performance you can kind of put to one side but the fact that everything hasn't worked as hoped is a bit concerning yeah they've got a bit of homework to do that was what Bonotto said after the race it it wasn't that the upgrades and everything they bought this weekend I I never expected them to launch them into contention because. They were, no, always expect- they were always expecting to be behind. It was it was always defined as something that was going to be really important for defining the next development steps rather than rather than transfor- transforming their competitive picture at the moment. And Bonotto sort of seemed very 50-50 after the race. Definitely can't be happy with the performance. Definitely can't be happy with the fact that upgrades, certain upgrades didn't work. But he's also sort of keeping an open mind they're very much going down a different aerodynamic path now for the rest of the season. They'll be adding downforce onto the car to the detriment of the top speed, moving away from that aero-efficient philosophy that they banked on at the start of the year that's just not quite working. Um, but they've got to get on top of it soon because, the obviously, as I said, that this season's basically done. They're not going to win the, either title. Um, but they're in that crucial phase now where they're going to bake in some flawed concept into the 2020 car unless they 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 unless they've already worked it out or they get some tangible on track results quickly. Well, the key is that they really understand 100% what the problem is and 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 how to solve it because then that'll set their set their direction. Uh, and it was just difficult weekend. We could see they were both struggling a little bit with the front end and Vettel obviously you did an analysis of the qualifying laps because Vettel had problems in Q3 that's uh, that are probably worth explaining because he ended up qualifying down in seventh. Uh, but we could see what he was struggling with as well. Yeah, he um, he just he just didn't have any success really with the front end of the car. Certainly not as much as as Leclerc did. 
Um, throughout the lap, it was evident in the slow corners and then the sort of faster double apex stuff towards the end of the lap at the start. He was uh, he was visibly muscling the car harder than Leclerc. He was going for a tighter line, being really greedy with with the curbs on the run into the turn three right hander. Then you go left through four, and then into the slow right at five, which is then sort of leads. It's sort of like a double right hander, isn't it? Five and six, and into three and five, he was he was much more aggressively over towards the curb. Is obviously. He had more lock applied to the steering as well. So you could just see it, see someone that wasn't quite as comfortable that when they turned in, the car would stick. And then in the second part of the lap, when it required really muscling the car back to the apex after like the long sweeps through the, through the final few corners, Vettel just couldn't hurry the car over, not to the same degree Leclerc did. And then he ended up uh, running out of grip and running wide out the final corner so he was pretty much all four wheels on the curb whereas uh, Leclerc held it a bit tighter and it, yeah, there, were, there wasn't one moment much like there there hasn't really been one outstanding moment that, that, that Vettel just hasn't been able to match uh, Leclerc it's just these series of minor but significant setbacks if you if you see what I mean no minor in the sense that they weren't throwing it off the road, but significant in that, you know, a tenth, tenth and a half, two tenths adds up if you make if you have four or five of these corners over the lap where the car's just not doing what you want it to do. And it was that qualifying that pretty much condemned Vettel to, he finished fifth, uh, ultimately he managed to pass the two McLarens of Carlos Sainz and, and Lando Norris, and then Vettel tried to extend that first stint and he had a lock-up and called himself in basically at that point. I don't think the long first stint would have done much for him unless... Somehow, him extending that stint even further would have caused a safety car, which would have helped him. But yeah, a difficult. One. I'd say, actually, I think Leclerc deserves a reasonable amount of credit for this week. I think it was quite a decent performance from him. I think he got most out of the car. There's a bit of pressure on him, Q3 performances. But, you know, he, he got the best he could out of the car, third in qualifying, third in the race, had that little nibble at Bottas at the, at the end. So, actually, even though Vettel had a few few problems, Leclerc credits him for getting what he could out, out of the car. I think that's a positive weekend for him yeah I think Leclerc looked really tidy we've talked a lot before about the flaw that we felt he had last year that we didn't think it was a coincidence did we that he was the worst driver last year for stringing together laps the ideal lap in qualifying and uh, so it's proved that the start of this year he's now acknowledged that he's been too messy in qualifying he hasn't been gearing the car up right for for Q3 he's not been approaching the session with the idea of that crescendo in Q3 and getting the most out of it then. He sort of just goes out there, rags it every time and tries to get the best lap from it. And it's just not that piecing it together. But he was, uh, I think he was flawless, actually. I think he did a really good job in qualifying and in the race. He managed to bat away the attentions of Max Verstappen at the start, didn't he? And then, yeah, as we said earlier, almost very, very nearly had the had the pace and the... Um, awareness and opportunism to to sneak second okay he didn't but third still pretty good second podium in a row third of the season he's uh he's building building a nice bit of momentum now yeah and he's able to fairly comfortably cover Max Verstappen Red Bull struggling a bit for pace and Verstappen not entirely comfortable with the car and you know when, when they got on the radio to declare and say we need a bit more over Verstappen to make sure we don't we're not vulnerable to the undercut he pulled away and the gap was about six seconds so he's always well clear of Verstappen so uh, yeah Red Bull very much uh, third best of the big three Verstappen fourth place ahead of Vettel because Vettel couldn't do much better although Vettel did close in on him once he cleared the, cleared the McLarens once in the second stint on the hard tyres Verstappen seemed to be able to uh, to handle that gap so of course Vettel got to do the uh, the late uh, pit stop for for fastest lap but we haven't heard from you on, the, on this chat I mean Scott talked about this before where do you stand on the point for fastest lap and the fact that it either goes to the person with the fastest car or the person who's done worse in the front group and has a free pit stop? For me, it just feels like a bit of a gimmick to keep the end of the race exciting, which I'm not completely against. It you know, adds a, a little extra flavour to the to the end of the race. Um, it can give um, someone who's had a, a bad weekend or uh, some sort of issue during the race an opportunity to come out with something and, and take some value from the race. So uh, I don't know. I don't think it's a bad thing. And Obviously, it usually comes about by either the person who's checked off out into the distance, you know, having some clean air and being able to push for a fastest lap. Therefore, it doesn't really make much difference. Or it's someone who's who's that far adrift that they've got time to to make a stop and put some fresh tyres on. So it's usually inconsequential in terms of the race, but in terms of uh, giving you something to watch as a fan, I suppose it, it does 
give that little bit of excitement towards the, the end of the race. This one was in some ways a little bit more interesting because Hamilton was able to have a go at, at defending that fastest lap because uh, Vettel basically came in to do the fastest lap on the on the last lap. And in fact, on his lap, he did have a little bit of a, a, a small battery issue, as he described, so he couldn't discharge uh, everything. But uh, but yeah, Hamilton on the last lap had a go at uh, trying to cover it. I and mean, he was only 24 thousandths slower than, uh, than Vettel was. And this was on lap. 53 and he'd stopped in 25 i think off the top of my head so you know that that shows the the pace of the of the mercedes is still able to get that pace out of the hard tires compared to vettel doing a lap on on fresh softs yeah i'm sure and uh the the fact that he went for it at the end surprised me a little bit when i read after the race that he was worried about the the tires seemed seemed i don't know if you one of you two can explain why well, the, the drivers were more worried about the blisters than the team were because they were quite shallow. They looked quite bad, but they were quite shallow, apparently. So the Toto Wolf says, we weren't worried about them, but they were interesting, was the phrase that he put them. So they, whereas I think if you're a driver, inevitably, it's a bit more worrying. Lewis Hamilton mentioned the Lance Stroll blowout last year. And obviously, you don't want to have a tyre letting go when you're going through scene flat out 190 miles an hour. No matter how much runoff there is, you don't, you don't want that to happen. Also, Hamilton talked about the fact that he could see the, the, the problem developing on the tyre. So he's obviously reacting to something visible, which I'm sure is much more concerning than when you're in the team's position and you're actually looking at the various data and thinking, actually, this is fairly manageable to the end. Uh, but I can definitely see why, from a driver's point of view, you would be erring on the side of caution. Not that it obviously has stopped Lewis going for fastest lap because he'd realised by that point that he'd got it under control. Yeah, so all credit to him for for having a go as well and coming coming so close on uh, on on aged rubber. That's uh, that says a lot about the the pace of the of the of the Mercedes. And yeah, it's, I find it a bit irritating when the, the the sort of driver at the back of that lead group just takes the free stop. And in fact, I think I said to you, Scott, sort of a third of the way through the race, oh yeah, Vettel's going to get a fastest lap here because you could see he wasn't going to go forward and he already had the gap to the McLaren. So it was just he was the guy who was going to do it. Obviously, Pierre Gasly's done it a few times, but he had quite a difficult race and ended up finishing, well, 10th, 11th on the road he finished, but he did pick up a, a point. So Gasly wasn't in a position to do it in the in the other Red Bull. So uh, yeah, it's a, a, a tough... Uh, a, a, I, just, I just find it a little bit frustrating because I feel it sometimes rewards the wrong thing well you know why i disliked the fact that hamilton lost the fastest lap don't you because it it denied him his sixth grand slam yeah exactly i i i spotted uh it occurred to me sort of about two-thirds of the way through the race i thought oh hang on lewis extended his pit stop so he led every lap normally like you might have like one or two laps where where you dip dip out so he had pole he was he'd led every lap he was gonna win and he then he got fastest lap and so he's only had five, it's only five times in his career he's had that grind. It's very hard to do that. It's amazingly difficult. Especially, especially these days. Yeah, definitely. So I was thought, oh, that's quite cool. Like, you know, a guy who's won, what's he on now? He's got 79 wins. Today was his 79th win, I think. 79 wins, ridiculous number of pole positions. Um, and yet I think he's 15 times, I think he's got 15 hat tricks, pole win fastest lap. Uh, and he's got, but he's only ever had five races where he's won every, won won the race after starting from pole, leading every lap, and set fastest lap. It's, it's so rare, it's so difficult. And I thought it'd be really cool if he got it today, like a because it's just not something you see very often. So when Vettel nicked it, literally with the last lap of the race, after Hamilton had gone and set a new lap record on the last lap of the race, I thought, oh, that's a. That's slightly less cool, but it must. What a, what a horrible feeling that must have been for Ferrari. I know Vettel had a bit of a battery issue, so he didn't get full deployment on that final lap. But how much of a sinking feeling must that have given them to go out there on a fresh set of soft tires and pump in a lap that was what four hundredths of a second quicker than what Hamilton could manage on on a, on a rag set of hards? Yeah, very very much so. Yeah, very much so. It was, actually, it was the end of lap twenty four that Hamilton had, uh, had pitted on. So yeah, I mean. They they were very they were well used tires even though the hards were were pretty uh, pretty durable. It's actually really important for the championship as well if you look at it because Verstappen's only eleven points clear of of Vettel, so those two points quite important. This obviously there's there's a lot to play out in the championship, but I think a lot of the talk when the fastest point came in was was it going to affect the championship and how it played out. And when it comes to the end of the year, if the if those two remain so close together, then it, you know 
we, we could be looking back at this fastest lap as a really uh, crucial part of the season. Yeah, it could be could be significant. It's just a, I don't think the way that, I don't think the way Formula One is and the tyres and the rules really lend themselves to it being a, a genuine sort of thing. But that we've discussed that before, so I won't keep banging that particular uh, drum. We we should, I guess, talk about McLaren as well. They had a, a very very uh, strong weekend. Carlos Sainz finished uh, finished sixth. Um, this was a strong performance from McLaren. They were sort of similar performance level relative to the front as they were in Bahrain. Uh, seemed to suit the circuit uh, circuit very well, and they should have been sixth, sixth and seventh. But Lando Norris had his uh, had had his uh, problems, which we'll talk about in a minute. But I think McLaren have, have made some good strides recently. Loads of uh, I think their, their depth of understanding of the setup deepened a fair bit in 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 Montreal, and they've got a car that's working quite well. Works well in the long corners now, in particular, and uh, it's Carlos Sainz after the race, and he said, actually, if you look back to China in the long corners, we, we were struggling. But now they've got the car working. It's, it's doing what they want on entry. It's got the rear stability, you know, the speed through the corners going really well. And if you look at also at the comparison with the works Renault team, uh, McLaren seemed to be able to get away with running a little bit more downforce while maintaining the pace in the middle sector, so maybe a slightly more air-efficient car. In fact, we know that car's a reasonably aero-efficient one, so good for McLaren. And uh, yeah, for them to be able to to have kind of bossed Class B, as we call it, and they should have had a 1-2, is is very positive for them. And the fact that it's, you know, last year, the, the trackside operation, getting the best out of what they had, they were pretty good at. But the the development and the, the, the wider technical side wasn't so good. But it seems to be eight races in, we can say, actually, this is encouraging and vaguely promising for them. I think so. Um the the qualifying pacing was 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 phenomenal and I know obviously it was a bit of a condition of the uh, of the circumstances of the weekend with the track surface and the 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 ambient temperature and, and track temperature but when we saw the McLarens going out there on the mediums in Q two and showing plenty of pace comfort like comfortably quick enough to get through on the mediums that was that was immediately a an indicator of how quick they were. But what I thought was quite interesting was Nico Hulkenberg's uh, verdict on the McLaren after the after the race. He was asked by none other than our esteemed colleague Jonathan Noble, who said uh, who wanted to know if Nico was surprised by how quick the McLarens were, and uh, Nico said, "Yeah, they were slow today, weren't they?" And he was serious. He was saying like, "I I expected them to be down the road based on how quick they were over one lap and on Friday." But actually, he he and Cyril Abyssal feel that that Renault was actually the fourth quickest car over a race distance. They still think that McLaren's well. This is beatable. Where, this is where it comes back down to the whole thing about your qualifying performances and that kind of thing. So, yeah, we also have to remember McLaren didn't have the engine upgrade, although Nico Hulkenberg didn't either. But Daniel Ricciardo did. So that's uh, that's interesting. It's, it was difficult to compare as well because obviously Hulkenberg started on the hards, whereas the McLarens are on the medium. Uh, and then the hard hard strategy. But yeah, that's going to be a really interesting battle. This doesn't mean McLaren's going to be the fourth fastest car week in, week out, but it's a it, it's a promising performance. And I think just the fact they're making progress with the car is, is the is the best thing. And of course, Lando Norris, who, who drove well, actually, actually Norris in many ways is having a better weekend. Science seemed to be struggling much more on, on Friday. Normally we've seen Science kind of being a chunk ahead on Friday and then Norris having to claw his way back. It was the other way round this weekend. And then... Uh, Sainz was able to get ahead, uh, made a better start, and, and he was ahead in attacking Verstappen uh, uh, at the first few corners of, of the race. So Sainz had six comfortably. Norris had seventh, basically wrapped up until until the last lap. We heard he was battling hydraulic problems because he was told he wasn't allowed to use the DRS. And then there was talk about there was the problems with rear locking and and uh, the, the gear shifts weren't working quite as quickly as hoped and steering getting heavy so he was basically trying to get home in a car that was deteriorating but it was a good uh, a good a good effort even though he started the last lap seventh finished it tenth and then got promoted to ninth after penalties i once uh, you had mentioned that norris was in a bit of trouble i switched to his onboard for the for the remainder of the grand prix so i had his radio channel open and I was watching it from his point of view and it's fascinating hearing him and McLaren talk through how to deal with it he was reporting the problems McLaren were basically saying sorry mate this is what this is going to be what you've got because this is the problem you're facing and then they were like talking through 
sort of what problems he'd have. And there was a brilliant bit where he was just like, okay, Lando, so um, first the, uh, basically just talking through the consequences. So just saying, you know, this is, uh, the, 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 the car's gonna, the, the car's handling's gonna change, steering's gonna get heavier and just sort of pre-warning him. And he's saying, oh, well, yeah, I've got, steering's already got a bit heavy and, um, it, I, I, I seem to, it seems to be really, braking seems to be really inconsistent. And they're like, yep, that's gonna, that's, all part of the same problem just deal with it the best you can and then at one point they even said um we've seen cars get to the end with this so there was obviously a serious bit of oh is the car even going to make it to the finish and then i've the the i said to you didn't i heartbreaking that last lap because he'd done so well i think he'd done a brilliant job especially when you were nursing a car well that, i think the, that case, the team wanted him to kind of make him realize that this isn't futile just do the best you can and he almost did. We start the last lap seventh, but yeah, under attack from uh, from Ricardo in controversial fashion. Well, exactly. Well, Ricardo attacked uh, the chicane. He went wide, and then in kind of coming back on. This is very much to regard the topic of leaving the track and rejoining it. When he rejoined in the middle of the chicane, that forced Norris wide off the track. Uh, and then, of course, because Hulkenberg and Raikkonen were there. That meant Norris lost all those places, dropped back to tenth, and then Raikkonen briefly got up to seventh, and then Ricardo used a little bit beyond the track on the run to scene to retake uh, that seventh place. So uh, Ricardo got two separate five-second penalties, separated by about five seconds for the offences for those those two things. So what, what do you make of that? Do you think that was that was fair? Yeah, I think so. It's not often you see a driver get two different penalties, is it? Especially when it's for the same thing, basically. Um, I felt, obviously, as you said, the whole issue of going off track, coming back on unsafely, forcing another driver off the track is a hot topic since uh, what happened between Hamilton and Vettel in Canada. But I think this, on this occasion, it's justified on the grounds that Ricardo did run wide he, and then he comes back on in a manner that forces, not only forces Lando Norris off the track, but it drops him... Two was it? Two, three places? Oh, two more places. Yeah, two more places. Ricardo, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think it's clear cut. Yeah, and, 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 clear cut. and we should remember as well, Ricardo was rejoining whilst, it, as a result of going off while trying to pass Norris. Yeah, exactly. So it wasn't like it wasn't like it was just a just a mistake on his own, or or he was defending because those are always contentious. But Ricardo, I couldn't quite work out because obviously he was a bit he got, he got a bit leery on Twitter afterwards. Tweeted one thing, deleted it. Tweeted a slightly modified version of that, and shared another tweet. And he he was obviously annoyed of how he got penalised. And he said basically, "I'm glad I went for it instead of just sitting back." Um, fair enough, but ultimately he did cross a line, and you've got to pay the punishment for for that. Unfortunately, and. It's, it was hard racing and it did create a, a really cool image of those the three or four cars, wasn't it? Just sort of like briefly, it looked like we might go four wide at some point down the, the run to scene uh, corner. But yeah, you, you just can't get away for, for, we can't get away with, with that sort of thing. And I think it was a justified penalty. I would, what I would say, seeing as we've got Benyon, we're here with us. It wasn't the worst bit of uh, driving standards over the course of the, over the course of the weekend as a whole for uh, at Paul Ricard. Might have uh, two separate penalties might be quite rare, but a driver being banned over an F one weekend, even if it's not an F one driver himself, is is quite unique, isn't it? Yeah, I think first time since the penalty structure was introduced F one in twenty fourteen that a driver's been banned using that system. Mahavir Raganathan, the MP Motorsport driver, uh, received his twelve point over the course of the weekend for three infringements on virtual safety cars over the course of a race. So that was quite interesting. Even more interesting is that the FIA are going to look at that rule in future now for, for the support series because that rule obviously designed for Formula One. So the the wording of the rule is for the next round and therefore Mahavir was able to race today in the sprint race but is now banned for the next round in Austria. So uh, unusual punishment but uh, basically brought about by some uh, some regulation wording. Uh, we've talked about that quite a bit recently in many different parts of motorsport, especially Canada. Um, so um, I know um, Mr. Massey will be having a look at that with his uh, contemporaries over the next few, few weeks and few months and uh, they'll be looking at making a change for that next year. But yeah, some... Uh, 
there's always some interesting driving standards in in Formula Two and, and Formula Three. Um, but yeah, it's, it's 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 interesting that the it's kind of a weekly occurrence for for those championships, whereas the the intensity of the sort of magnifying glass on F1 at the minute is is, is seemingly a lot higher than usual. So um, yeah, for me, the Ricciardo incident was clear cut. He was trying to pass Norris. It wasn't like he was ahead. So uh, for me, he had to give that back and uh, a difficult one. I mean, uh, Danny must have known that Lando had problems at that point, but obviously time was running out in the race to make that move. So I guess Daniel felt a little bit banzai about trying to make it at that corner. It's the last obvious place to to make the move. Would he have been able to do it later on in the lap with, with Lando struggling? That's a hindsight issue that you can never really... Uh, yeah, I think, I think the chicane was his chance, ultimately, I think. I don't blame him for having a go. Just, just the way it shook out wasn't uh, wasn't quite right. So that that left us with uh, Kimi Raikkonen finishing seventh, Nico Hulkenberg eighth, Landon Norris ninth, and uh, Pierre Gasly picked up the final point for tenth. With Ricardo shuffled out of the points uh, to eleventh place with uh, with a total of, of ten seconds uh, penalty. Those two five second. Uh, Penalties in in quick succession for for him, but uh, yeah, a bit bit costly for Renault at their home race. And obviously, there's a lot of talk about Renault upgrades here, car, engine, and this is where you kind of see the real Renault form. So, if I was there, I'd be. It's not terrible, but it's a little bit. It's still not quite where they want to be, should we say? I think Renault, by and large, should be in a position where they're where they the front of. Uh, the front or second best in class B most of the time, but still, still not quite where we're expecting to see it to be. We're expecting to be there consistently every every single race, like winning class B or breaking away from that pack. I think we need to see what happens in Austria, to be honest, because Paul Ricard this weekend was a little bit weird. The temperatures of the track conditions made it slightly odd, and there did seem to be a big swing in performance if you if you hooked it up, so even bigger than we've seen at other races this year when they've been bit of you know tire whist uh, tire weirdness going on um you could argue that canada will be the new normal and that france was a one-off alternatively front uh the the level of performance that renault had in canada might have been a one-off and that they'll actually just yo-yo all season long um the upgraded engine in ricardo's car seemed to be a good step forward yeah, jury's out on the upgrades. Hulkenberg wasn't massively sold on them by the end of the race weekend, so that'll give the engineers a little bit of work to do. Probably not quite to the same degree as Ferrari's failed upgrades, but I think I think Renault, yeah, may, maybe maybe we'll give them two or three races to get on top of the uh, the chassis upgrades and roll out the engine upgrades across all four cars and then judge them properly. But yeah, do do still need to see a bit more from them because as Hulkenberg said they might well be the fourth fastest car in the race but that means nothing in modern F1 if you can't qualify as the fourth fastest car no very very much so it's uh, significant for them we're looking a bit further down racing point Sergio Perez 12th Lance Stroll 13th Perez obviously and also the team uh, team boss Otmar Safnauer were concerned about the fact he got that five second penalty obviously he went off at turn three had a lock up went around the bollard as he was meant to but then did also rejoin at turn five a couple of positions higher. Uh, now there, I think Perez's argument would be, well, I, I followed the rules. I went around the bollard as requested and rejoined. So what's what's the problem? Uh, but ultimately, he has gained an advantage by by going off. What do you make of that penalty? I thought it was justified. I I know that um, that those those track limits instructions exist to try to enforce the rule that if you go on to off track, you don't gain an advantage, but it doesn't mean that they will. And the rule is quite simply, you can't go off the track and gain an advantage. And if he made up places, then that's what he did. So what's these bang to rights, isn't he? Yeah, I think it's pretty, pretty clear cut that one. Um, I don't think one rule overrides the other. Otherwise you could theoretically, what's to stop him if he says, Oh, I got, I got pushed off when I was still flat out before the braking zone. Just, Take take it like a ninety degree corner and just rejoin in the lead. So well, I went around the bollard. It, it doesn't it doesn't work exactly. And like you know, take take it to take it to an extreme. Say you've got one a, a, a setup where it's actually quicker to go through a a pit lane than it is to to go through the final part of a lap or something like that. Then you might as well just cheat at some point that gives you a drive through penalty and take the drive through penalty because it's not actually going to punish you. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, yeah, it's, it's not the way, it's just not really right. Is it? No, exactly. The penalty, the, the system that exists to to stop people gaining an advantage by going off the track is, is for a normal situation. On a normal lap, you go off there, 
you have to go around that bollard and then rejoin, and it will be slower. It, that that is simple. But on the opening lap, when there's that concertina effect and everyone, the, the field compresses and it's a bit stop start. Yeah, you you gain an advantage. And as I said, bang to rights. I, I don't have a problem with that penalty. You can you can have drivers go off past a bollard as well. So uh, it happened in the F3 race with uh, Red Bull Junior Yuri Vips, where he was sort of he had to take evasive action at turn eight and was already past the bollard at the point where he took the evasive action. So he quite rightly pointed out they would have had to turn around and gone back to go around the bollard. So he was actually penalised in the race for, even though he'd gone past the bollard and then it was actually rescinded during the race, which is quite unusual, but good to see that the stewards are keeping an eye on things and, you know, willing to go back on the changes they've made. But yeah, you can't live and die by a bollard. There's got to be, uh, he's got to be. get that printed on t-shirts. We can merchandise them, can we? You can't live all the time. I come on the podcast once and I give you a, a best-selling worldwide t-shirt to, to show for it. Yeah, we'll, we'll get the uh, the online Autosport podcast shop up and running in a few months and start to <coughs> start selling us. But yeah, I, th- I think that it's clear these sorts of circuits are frustrating, but there has to be some kind of common sense applied to some of these some of these things. Um, obviously, Toro Rosso had a bit of a difficult weekend. Daniel Kvyat was always going to start from the back because he had the Spec 3 Honda uh, parts and that triggered grid penalties. He came through to 14th ahead of Alexander Albon, who started 11th, but he ran wide coming out of the first corner. And then he, he said he lost uh, another couple of places due to... I think the way Perez rejoined cost him a little bit, he reckoned. Uh, but that's, uh, that meant the Toro Rosso's weren't really points contentions. They finished ahead of Antonio Giovinazzi, who I feel a little bit sorry for, because he, he made Q3. He's been quite unfortunate this year. And I think people have written him off. I don't think he's the next Charles Leclerc, but he's a good driver. And he he's out-qualified, he's outpaced Raikkonen three times in the last five races in, in qualifying. And I think I'd like to see him have a, just a good, smooth, normal weekend and maybe pick up a point or two for the, for the first time, because he's still pointless to drive. And then, of course, the Williams drivers were at the back. Robert Kubica finished ahead of George Russell. Russell tried to pass Kubica early on around the outside of the scene, ran wide, took out a bollard, and then later had to take a second pit stop in order to change the, the front wing. Interesting random stat is that George Russell, that's his eighth Grand Prix, and that's the first time he's been classified last in a Grand Prix, which, considering he's been condemned to the worst car by some margin for all of those, that, that's not a bad, that's not a bad uh, record. Typical George Russell stat and uh, bring in some F2 knowledge to the podcast. It's interesting that all three of the F2 uh, promotees to, the, to F1 this year all had nightmare races at Paul Ricard last year in F2 and have, all three of them had pretty poor races this weekend as well. So I'm, I think they'll all be happy to leave uh, Lando Norris stalling his car last year. Um, George Russell had uh, some sort of sensor issue from memory on the on the Sundays after winning the Saturday race. And uh, yeah, Alex Albon had engine trouble in qualifying, which then manifested again in the races as well. So uh, not a nice place for F2 promotees to come uh, circuit Paul Ricard. And I'm, I'm sure all those drivers will be happy to leave. Yeah, very much so. As indeed will the Haas drivers who had another very, very difficult weekend. Uh, Kevin Magnussen, 17th, Raymond Grosjean. Uh, his car was retired late on because he was going nowhere. They're still struggling, baffled by the car. Just just can't get it to, to work. And that this is now becoming quite serious for Haas because they've got a car that fundamentally should be quite quick, but they just they just can't do anything with it. Gunter Steiner described it, I think, as the worst weekend in the team's short history. There was a Mexican Grand Prix a few years ago that might run it close for that one. Yeah, it was a horrible Mexico. But the expectations weren't as high back then. Well, that's true. Yeah, that's that's fair. I mean, I, th- I think he's I think he's right in this situation. They need to find a way around it. I spoke to Kevin Magnuson after the race, and he just had no answer. He's sort of saying, "Well, do, do you have a do you even have like a theory as to what what's causing this?" And just, just just don't know. They just can't go anywhere. It's the equivalent of Ferrari turning up to a race weekend and just inexplicably failing to 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 make it into Q3 just on 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 raw pace like struggling down in like 9th 10th or 11th or something and just not being able to explain why that's how far off Haas are from where they where they should be on if you were going to just sort of say what the raw potential of each car is Haas is much much better and much quicker than it's been able to show yeah definitely and it's it's happening too many times now so there's some serious work to be done there uh, I guess we should because we've mentioned F2 a little bit. Jack, would you like to give us a little bit of an update on where things are with uh, F2? Good uh, weekend for Nick de Vries, wasn't it? It was a good weekend for Nick de Vries. He had some new overalls this weekend, which is... Uh, was, that, was that the reason? Something, possibly. Uh, did, he co- things, did he cover them in champagne? Uh, he did. He did. Uh, quite an interesting story, actually. After the after the Baku round, which follows Formula 1, uh, his laundry bag was thrown in the bin accidentally. So his overalls were, were binned and he uh, he had to... Did Ralph Boschung throw it in the bin? Because a fellow <laughs> F2 driver, he, show, he showed a willingness to throw bits of clothing. 
It's true, but it wasn't. I don't think it was Ralph Bushong. I think it was a member of the ART Grand Prix team who will remain anonymous for the rest of history I, for, I th- for their own safety. I thoroughly enjoyed Bushong's good old school throw the gloves, the gloves at the retired yeah, car. Was that like, was good. That was a shame because Ralph is uh, really struggling for budget and uh, seems to be having more technical issues than, than most of the drivers can shake a stick at, which is very unfortunate. I hope he'll make it to Austria. But yeah, Nick DeVries uh, had those binned overalls and had to borrow Formula 3 driver David Bettman's overalls, which meant he was appearing on the rostrum with German flags as a, as a Dutch driver, which was quite an interesting image to see. Um, but in that period of, of wearing David Bettman's overalls, he won two races and finished fifth and seventh in the other two. Had a fantastic run and it's really put him into championship contention. Stole the lead of the championship this weekend from Nicholas Latifi, the Williams junior, who made his FP1 uh, debut with the team in, on, a, on a race weekend anyway. Um, and, and Nicholas, a little bit off the pace this weekend, admitted that his, uh, his McLaren junior, Dam's teammate Sergio Setacamera, was the better of the two drivers this weekend and really struggled. But still, he was quite happy that a fifth and a seventh was uh, a bad weekend for him. That's, that, that reflects a good weekend in, in that sense. But yeah, Nick DeVries uh, taking the championship lead, as I said. Um, Unfortunate weekend for Mick Schumacher. He was uh, smashed into into by his teammate, um, sent into an airborne collision. Luckily, he was okay. Um, but yeah, he's really struggling 15th in the championship. So I'm sure the the, the F1 uh, podcast listeners will be interested to know how he's getting on at the minute. Not very well. Um, and yeah, then obviously we've got the new F3 championship, which is uh, a, a merge of the European Formula 3 and uh, GP3 from last year. Uh, good start for Robert Schwartzman, the Russian driver, who's a Ferrari junior and also backed by SMP Racing as well. Um, he took a, a sprint race victory from seventh on the grid today. And uh, yeah, interesting weekend. Uh, Saturday was uh, Yeyan Daravala's uh, day for him and uh, Prima have won every single race so far over the, the two rounds of F3 so far. So it's going to be interesting to see how that develops. Uh, nice that we've got, after having a massive gap between Barcelona and Paul Ricard for F3, we're going to have a back-to-back weekend. So it'll be interesting to really get to grips with that season and, and really see things start to play out there. Yeah, it's uh, yet to really properly take shape yet, but it, it will do uh, fairly fairly rapidly. So yeah, some really good racing going on in, in both F2 and F3. I suppose, Scott, we should very, very briefly, and I am going to say this is going to go briefly, we do have to refer to the Ferrari petition to oh. review the Canada thing, just to explain it, but we're going to do it very, very quickly. They lost. They did lose. They want their, the petition to appeal the petition to review, rather, they had to present some significant and new evidence to the stewards in order for the stewards to say, yeah, okay, we'll open up a review and then we'll have the review hearing. They presented a batch of seven things, which were camera angles, telemetry, GPS data. It was one Ve- of them a video Ve- from Karun Chandok? Yes, Vel's witness testimony. Karun Chandok's uh, the, the analysis from Sky, very, very good piece of television, very good piece of analysis. Not uh, Very good piece of opinion. A very good piece of opinion, not evidence. And uh, basically the seven things uh, that the stewards said, well, five of these things are not, not new. They said Green Chandok's analysis is new, but is not relevant. Which we took great joy in mentioning to him, didn't we? Yes, As I sir. think dozens and dozens of member of members of the F1 paddock did by the cell. Well, well the best the best thing was, I think, because uh, obviously Green Chandok, friend of the podcast, this is one of the few races he's not at this year, and and he, every time something sort of happened related to him to this thing, he was getting loads of messages from people going, "Well, what's going on here?" And he's just thinking, "What? What have I done?" I feel a bit sorry for him getting drawn into it, but it was very very funny. But yeah, so the, the steward said, "No, that's." not relevant it's new but not relevant and then the the other one that they they said that the 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 helmet cam that rather I should say the camera pointed towards Vettel's helmet they said yes that was new but basically it showed us what other footage showed anyway so it's not not significant so these seven attempts I think basically Ferrari was throwing the kitchen sink at it to try and prize open the door and get a review that didn't work Sebastian Vettel's five second penalty stands Lewis Hamilton wins a Canadian Grand Prix yeah, that's actually a very good summary. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't a very good attempt. I don't think it was a very good attempt to get a review. It was no, interesting for me so. from from watching it from the outside um, because it looked like Ferrari are trying to trying to close this off, and they kind of don't want this to be spoken about anymore, and they want to move on, and they want they wanted to focus on on the poor Ricard weekend whilst also presenting new evidence and keeping this thing going. Yeah, they were the reason it got dragged out, but they wouldn't let us ask any questions about it, which was <laughs> absolutely bizarre. It's just one of those things, isn't it? I think it was, uh, I think we said on the last podcast, it's always a tremendous long shot. And I think, yeah, that they just they just tried to get something to stick to get it open. And, and I think it was the, regardless of what you say about whether that should have been a penalty, I think, as we've discussed before, under the rules as they are, it was a correct penalty. 
and the stewards came, the three of the three of the stewards came in person, including Emmanuel Pirro, uh, the former F1 driver, the multiple Le Mans winner. And I think they came in with quite open minds to look at this evidence, but they just said, "Look, there's just there's just nothing new." So it was all a bit of a, a, bit, a bit of a damp script, but a, an entirely predictable one. I think again, watching from a distance. Uh, <laughs> It's, it's, it's been so interesting to watch it play out, but for me, the way it's been handled by Ferrari, the whole situation is a perfect reflection of how their season's gone. Yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's, it's been ill-managed, dragged out unnecessarily. One disappointment after another. Exactly. It? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah it's, 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 not been, it's not been good. And I think that was always a... I don't know how... I, I honestly don't know whether Ferrari felt they had a serious chance. They, what was the phrase they used? Overwhelming evidence. Quite overwhelming. Quite overwhelming evidence. I'd say very, un, very underwhelming. Uh, evidence it's in, like one in, of those tick box questionnaires isn't it is your is your evidence quite overwhelming very overwhelming not very overwhelming or not overwhelming or kareem chandok <laughs> yeah it's uh, i think it was a uh, yeah i i'd i'd love to know if they really thought they had a chance with this or whether it was just a bit of a hit and hope if they'd been able to get it into a, a review situation they could have argued it a little bit differently but they had to. They had to show it was new. So anyway, we're not going to dwell on that. But we did have to have to wrap it up, and we shall never speak of it again because it's uh, it's dragged on quite uh, long enough. Well, we're going straight on to the Austrian Grand Prix. Uh, we'll be uh, be heading out there uh, tomorrow, and uh, yeah, I think it should be a uh, potentially not not a circuit that, that that gives Mercedes quite the same same advantage, but. Uh, I don't think anyone's expecting Ferrari to go there and uh, and win. So more of the same, nine in a row expected? Uh, yeah, I think so. Although Merck did implode in Austria last year, so there is hope. I quite enjoyed it last year when Max Verstappen won for Red Bull because Red Bull, the Austrian Grand Prix is a really good event. They they really put effort into it. Red Bull's put so much into, into motorsport. And I remember last year, after the race, uh, Dietrich Mateschitz, the, the owner of, of Red Bull, obviously he's not, not somebody who speaks a lot, made that kind of thing. And he was in the paddock and he was just beaming. He's really delighted because obviously they, they capped the, this, this Red Bull Grand Prix, which is what it effectively is with a, with a victory. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not, not tipping Verstappen to, uh, to win, but it's, uh, it was certainly nice last year. So it wouldn't be a bad thing again. But yeah, Mercedes are in short on, on a march to the title. And unless something seismic happens pretty quickly. They're going to have it. I think the interesting thing will be to see if, if Bottas can rebound and if he can get some sort of momentum going because it, it would be his third pole in a row if he gets a pole. So uh, it's, it's, it, he really needs something to, to turn this around. And as Scott explained earlier in the podcast, is, uh, the list is mounting as to what he has to do to beat Lewis Hamilton, who just happens to be one of the best F1 drivers of all time. So uh, he really needs some, something to spark that off and maybe Austria will be that point that he needs to, to kick kick back into action yeah very much so a track he likes so uh yeah let's see if he can uh, he can liven things up uh well you can read all the fallout from the i just can't even remember where we are from the french grand prix yeah i i was i was talking earlier as if the hungarian grand prix is next week i was getting utterly confused this time of year the races come thick and fast but yeah so you can read all about all the fallout from the french grand prix on autosport.com all sorts of things there and people complaining and, and predicting and uh, explaining there check out our plus subscriber area for the allegedly the world's best motorsport journalist writing in depth about formula One and the whole world of motorsport and of course autosport magazine will be out on thursday with our coverage of the French Grand Prix. Again, I was almost forgetting which race it was. Check out sister titles, motorsport.com, F1 Racing Magazine out monthly, and Motorsport News out every week. And do subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. We're normally out every Monday and Thursday, and you can also like us on the Spreaker website. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.